So I think that should work. Yeah. That okay, sounds good. great. I didn't know if I needed a thing over the top of the thing. You know what I mean? Oh, that's good. I don't understand what you meant, but I'm with you. I'm here. Thank you for the emotional support. You're listening to Lead Him to Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Hey friends, and welcome to Lead Him to Life. I am very, very excited to be joined by, can we call ourselves friends yet? Yes, we're friends. We're officially friends. My yep. friend, Edmund Mitchell. Edmund, welcome to Lead Him to Life. Hey, it's good to be here. I'm excited to be on this on this podcast that has your name in the title, but it's also kind of a little bit of a funny thing here that we're doing. Isn't it cutesy? Do you want to know where this came from? When here. I married, well, you got married. Yes. Did I tell you this? Well, obviously it's your last name, right? Okay, like you well, got yeah. married. Yeah, but you know how like weddings you have hashtags? Mm-hmm. So our wedding hashtag was lead them to the altar. Okay. And, you know, so just kind of this sense of like yeah. being led to something. And uh, I had been sitting with the idea of doing a podcast for two years. It took me two years to finally say yes and to work up the yeah. courage to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I was waiting on was a name. And inspired by the wedding hashtag, we are leading people to life, you know, myself included. That's great. So, did your husband suggest that? Did you like, how did that come about? Um, I feel like the nice thing to say would be like, yeah, it was my husband's idea. He's so creative, but I think it was my idea. <laughs> not going to lie. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are. Give us like a few fast facts. Yeah. So I, um, military brat moved all over cradle Catholic, then met Jesus in late high school, college really started meeting Jesus, then went to Franciscan university, transferred out of, yeah, yeah. I went to Georgia tech (laughs) and then, um, transferred out to Franciscan and became a youth minister. Now I'm the director of evangelization and catechesis. I work primarily with adults, um, at a parish in grapevine, Texas. I met my beautiful wife, uh, at Franciscan. We have five kids, four boys and a girl. And my heart really is in adult parish ministry. Um, Well, just parish ministry in general. I really pray that I would be able to stay at a parish for as long as I possibly can, you know, until they're Mm -hmm. like, you're too old. You need to go die. (laughs) Go die. It's time. (laughs) It's time to go out to pasture. We're going to send Edmund to a farm. Oh my gosh. That's so good. So So yeah. Then there's the creative stuff. Like I do a lot of just stuff like this, like, like you do hobby, uh, podcasting and video and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's actually how I kind of first encountered you. So we have some mutual friends and you, uh, I think I I found you on Instagram or something and you are one of the most creative people I think I have ever um, seen at work. I really, I mean, I truly mean that. I just think you have a great, um, yeah, you're, you're creative and you bring a sense of humor to the things that you're doing. Um, you know, you have your own podcast. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, and you recently bought a studio space, correct? To kind of continue Mm -hmm. to foster this hobby, not only for yourself, but then to invite other people into it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's, what's been really fun. So that was just like a crazy, you know, I drive around and I'm, I was always dreaming of moving into a space at some point. Um, we were doing the show and other video stuff just out of my dining room that we had turned into a little studio. And yeah, I would always call like for lease phone numbers and stuff and it would never work out. And then this one just happened to, yeah, like the Lord just kept 
doors open and I kept walking through them. And now we're in this small little 900 square foot, two, three room, uh, house, um, that now is like, yeah, video production studio to produce podcast video based podcasts is kind of what I really love okay. video based, you know, podcast shows. Um, so have you always been, uh, kind of a creative person? Did that start later, later on? Is that something that you grew up kind of you're a, as an, I don't want to say an artist, but kind of in your own way, an artist. Absolutely. Um, have you always been that way? Um, that's an interesting question. I think, I think everyone is to a certain extent. Like I think um, there's, I think everyone's a creative quote unquote, as much as you like or dislike that word. I think everyone is creative to a certain extent. Um, I would say that I was pretty uh, emotive. I was much more, um, yeah, like whatever side of the brain that is. Like it was much more, I I, I sought attention out, right? Like, so uh, (laughs) I was very much a performative type person. and a very introspective and probably too, uh, narcissistic and self-involved, you know, an unfounded self of self and unfounded sense of self-importance, I think has plagued me. But, uh, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I think it just has grown, um, organically into all these different little things. You know, it's weird. I, I have a hard time even, and I think most people do, I have a hard time admitting or claiming, like some type of title, like artist or creative. I don't, it's, it's weird. It's a weird thing to hear other people say. Yeah. I think that's interesting because, uh, a lot of times we don't know when have we crossed that threshold of being, Mm -hmm. you know, excellent in whatever we do. Um, you know, we can kind of define ourselves if I'm a teacher, I'm a teacher or whatever, but some of those other things, yeah, I think we kind of struggle to actually take ownership of, um, of it. And maybe, maybe we need to do it a bit more, you know, maybe we need to be a bit more like I have a friend who's, who's a, who's a writer and she's like, well, I haven't been published. So I'm not, am I, am I really a writer? I'm like, yeah, Mm. you're an incredible writer. So I think it's kind of that difficulty that you're talking about of when do we just claim kind of the gifts that we have and, um, step into them in a way. Do you Uh, consider yourself a podcaster? Do you call yourself a podcaster? Um, no, I don't actually. No, which is, I haven't thought about that. Yeah. And how long have you been running this podcast for? Uh, I'm still pretty new, about a month, a little over a month. So I started at the beginning of the year. It'll be Um, interesting to hear you eventually start calling yourself a podcast host. I know. Yeah. Right now I feel like I tell people what I do. And then as part of what I do, I host a podcast. I think the, I think the big thing is that we always compare ourselves as we're doing the thing with the people that we, you know, respect. Mm -hmm. I think we forget that to our moms and to other people who don't do that thing, they're yeah. like, this, it's a, it's a big deal to you. You're like, well, I just got a microphone and I just bought some headphones and now we're doing it. But to most people, they're like, I have no idea how I would even start and you're doing it. So you're a podcaster to me, right? I'm officially so. a podcaster. I feel like I need to add that to my little name badge or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Emily I'm podcaster. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you're so right. And it's, it's, that's actually kind of like stretching me a little bit to recognize like, yeah, we kind of need to just own some of these things and, and whatever. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really, really great. Um, one, one, uh, moment was when, um, early on I had a friend over it was when we first made the switch to in-person guests on the show and a friend Connor Flanagan came over and it was in my dining room and him. I kept, yes. And I kept, you know, going back and forth. I was like, we're in my, place in my dining room in my office and he just looked at me dead in the eyes and was like this is your studio just say it 
and just say it. And from mm-hmm. now on, this is your studio. That's it. Like, mm-hmm. and, and it was almost, I was almost embarrassed. I was embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, Oh, you're right. Why am I being so weird about this? It's, you know, and, and that was a huge moment for me that really changed a lot. And I think that's so applicable to so many different people. You know, I have friends that are stay at home moms and I think sometimes they're like, well, I just, you know, I just stay, I just stay at home. And I'm like, no, you run a full fledged organization, yeah. you know, out of your house kind of thing. Like, yeah. um, yeah, I think we operations, domestic, domestic yeah. logistics coordinator, right? Yeah. Yeah. We could come up with a million titles. So totally. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a true, that's such a, a true thing. I think we kind of need to just embrace this is where I'm at and this is what we're going to call it and kind of stepping into that professional role in that way. Um, yeah. whatever it might be is so, is so that's so good. So, okay. One of the things that I want to talk to you about, um, is something that you had shared on one of your podcasts that I had listened to about one of the greatest gifts. I think you said that you ever gave your wife was marriage counseling. So mm-hmm. if you're okay with it for a lot of this episode, I want to talk to you about marriage, the growth that you've had in your marriage, yeah. um, some of the difficulties, challenges, triumphs that you've had in that, um, in that as well. So first of all, tell us a little bit about that. You gave your wife for, was it what Christmas or a birthday? or something. You oh no. So I actually, no, I actually talked a friend into, um, into gifting marriage counseling, but my, but my wife and I have done a ton of marriage counseling. Oh, okay. I'm with and you. Okay. I have talked many people into doing marriage counseling. Um, in particular with, uh, Dave McLeod is an amazing, uh, Catholic marriage counselor and we've on and off, um, you know, talked with him for years. And so, I talked a friend into it because uh, he said, that's kind of a strange birthday present or, or excuse me, anniversary present. And I said, no, really, um, what better gift than to say, I don't want to wait till we're, you don't wait till a car is broken to bring it to the mechanic. Well, maybe mm-hmm. some people do, but it'd be mm-hmm. better to bring the car in for maintenance and upkeep. Right. Mm-hmm. And for us, it really was huge. Um, so what, what better way to tell your wife, you really value your marriage than to invest time and money into it and to say, I want to work on, like, I want to make sure, even though we yeah. seem fine, I want to work on this. And I think that mystique being stripped away is really helpful for a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. Which can take the form of marriage counseling. It can take the form of a getaway together. It yeah. Can take yeah. The form of all of these different things. Yeah. That's, and, and what a, what an, a key way to communicate to somebody, Hey, you are worth the investment, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's beautiful. So tell us a little bit about kind of your story, your first couple of years of marriage, um, and your experience of coming to that point where, all right, I want to take this next step to invest in our marriage. Yeah. So my wife and I are very, very different. And my wife grew up in Texas with like one of the best, I mean, a a childhood, a boy's dream, right? Like of a childhood, right? You know, she's riding horses, she's shooting guns, she's hunting, she has three older brothers, you know, she's um, just like kind of a wild child and had this, and is very competent, you know, could, you know, change a tire, you know, and probably, probably coming out of the womb, she could, she knew how to change a tire and, <laughs> and a spark plug and stuff. I was very different. You know, we moved around a lot in the military and, or my dad was in the military and then I just had my younger sister and I was much more, you know, uh, connected my feelings, you know, um, to, as a way to describe that. But, um, so when we got married, man, we were just so different and there was a lot to work through even just, did you know that when you were dating? Oh yeah. The first time I met my wife, I said, I tried to make a joke and she just, I, 
you know, in college as you do, what's your major? What, where are you from? And she said, I'm from Texas. And I said, Oh, does that mean you own guns? And she just laughed in my, she didn't know what else to do. She just laughed at me in my face <laughs> as if like, that was the stupidest question. That's a stupid question. <laughs> oh, so I think, I don't know. I think I just was drawn to that type of, uh, that type of dynamic that we were just so different yeah. and the challenge of making okay. her laugh. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you knew that you were different even before. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. And then like we graduate, we graduate from college a week later, we're married a week later. We um, are working in Toledo, Ohio, away from all of our families. Um, That year we get, I mean, I think a week after that, we are pregnant every year. Then, you know, my wife gets pregnant. Uh, We we have like, well, we have two kids in Toledo and I think we get pregnant with the third and it's my first couple years of youth ministry. Very difficult. I'm having to set my own hours, um, lots of pressure I'm putting on myself, pressure to do this thing that's very, um, it doesn't have a clear path of what success looks like. Mm. Uh, and then the work-life, ba- it just was a ton. It was just a, it was just a, a bad storm, a perfect storm. Uh, she had postpartum, postpartum depression very, very poorly. I mean, one of the, I think one of the, it was either the second or third year, the worst winner recorded in all of the United States was in our city. That was like, that year we took the trophy for the worst winner. Um, and she is an outdoor person. She needs to be outside and it's like illegal to drive. Right. It's like that cold Um, that you're not allowed out of your house. And so it just was this perfect storm and really, really rough. And so we had been forced to do marriage counseling once during our marriage prep. The priest that did our marriage prep said he forces all of the couples to try it once just so that they try to get rid of the stigma. Oh, so we were brilliant. Yeah. So we were familiar with it. Uh, and then we tried again. It got to a point where it was just, I mean, I'll just keep talking forever, but, um, it got to a point where it was, it, things were getting really rough between us and, uh, neither of us were willing to get a divorce or be separated. So, um, and especially, you know, having these beautiful kids. And so we got to a point, yeah, we're out of desperation. We tried marriage counseling. We tried one, uh, like two or three times and it just didn't work. And then, and then finally I forget how we got in touch with Dave, but somehow we got in touch with the Catholic marriage counselor and that really changed everything for us. That really Mm -hmm. set us up and really, Oh, and that was instead of going in person, that was the first time we'd done over the phone and it was a Catholic marriage counselor. So we'd only had two sessions with someone else and it it didn't work. It was much more what you think about counseling and therapy. It was just tell me stuff. And then her just kind of diagnosing what she thinks is happening. Well, uh, she's acting this way because of this and you need to, it just, it was very different. Dave, on the other hand, had a set of tools that he was trying to teach us and was just very, um, neutral, was just Mm -hmm. very neutral. And anytime things got brought up, it was just like, let's work on this communication thing. Let's work on liturgies and routines. He talks about a lot of communion and how to work together through these things. Oh, okay. So I want to come back to some of those tools. Um, but I'm curious for you guys, when you were in that process and kind of getting to that point of, uh, we're not doing well, we're really not doing well. Was the thought on your mind then we really need to invest in our marriage. We really need to take a look at our marriage or was it kind of a, um, no, the Does thought that on my sense mind, like a slow, a slow yeah, fade and then suddenly crash and we need me oh, no. right away the, or was it the, an ongoing thing? I think the thought on, well, I know the thought on both of our minds was what have we done? Like, 
Really? He just really real. I mean, it was like, we both felt trapped and like, like I married the wrong person kind of question. Oh, a hundred percent. It was like, we're, we were young and stupid and now we have kids and we were not act. I mean, we were open to life, but we were, especially after our first child, we were uh, trying to avoid getting pregnant Mm -hmm. uh, because we knew all of this pressure and all this dysfunction in a way. And, um, you know, and it's on and off. It's not like, I mean, I'm talking very broad strokes. It's not like every moment was horrible. Uh, it's just the bad, the valleys became more and more frequent. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we were just, it was, it was the lowest and worst experience of our lives, both of us ever that we'd ever really experienced, um, were those moments and just, it just marriage heightens conflict so, uh, to such a degree. I mean, I've never, I choked with someone like you never, I, I don't know how you could hate, hate, really be tempted to hate someone as deeply as, uh, someone you've been married to. I don't know how you could be tempted to hate someone you've, you've never been married to as mm-hmm. deeply. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like it's the same with kids. I've told someone that too, like a, ch- like a, a small kid is ne- you've never been tempted to the depths of hate as you will experience until it's your own child. For some reason, there's like this dynamic where you just, it's just, it's rough. It's really rough. And yeah. so, yeah, we were not thinking, well, let's invest in our marriage. It was like, like last straw. What do we do? Yeah. Um, and and it was, well, I just wanted to add, like, yeah. it wasn't like we were just, uh, finished with each other. Like we just, we just had a, we both were hanging by a thread and just unwilling to give up and unwilling to, it was just, we were just stuck. We were just stuck and unhappy. Yeah. I think you're, um, I love that you said within our marriages, within our fam- within our very own families, um, is the places where I think it's often so difficult, uh, the most yeah. difficult to really love somebody else. And I think it's because our spouse can, they have this impression upon us, you know, like they can affect us and touch our hearts in ways that nobody else can. Yeah. And so where I wouldn't let my coworker make me that mad because I just don't, you know, like, I'm just not going to give them that space in my life to do that. I think our spouse has that power. And so when we get really frustrated or when we get really wounded, you know, wounded by the other, it's because they have that space in our lives. You know, there's, there's also, I didn't realize this, or I was not prepared for this. There's so much, uh, guilt and shame that is, that colors, the other person's actions because you feel associated with this person. I mean, you are associated with this person. So when your spouse does something and you, you're just like, I can't believe you really are, are feeling quite literally, I can't believe I married this person. Like, I can't mm-hmm. believe that, that this represents me like that, that, you know, when, when, and, and it's the same, you know, she's felt that way for me too. Like, it's not like, and really what a lot of it all came down to is not that we're both horrible people, but that we were not, we were talking past each other and we didn't know how to deal with conflict. And we both came from very different, uh, we both had very different and complimentary in some way 
um, dysfunctions from our family of origin, right? Like we just had, and every family is going to give you a certain level of dysfunction or a certain, just like, you're going to miss something. You're not, you're not coming from a perfect family. So the way your family deals with conflict or the way your family deals with affection is very different than someone else. And you have to adjust for that. And if you don't have tools to recognize what is healthy and you both agree on those, on working towards those things, it can be really, really difficult. So say more about for you, for you and it's Danielle, right? So for you and Danielle, what was, could you boil it down to kind of a key thing, whether that was from your family of origin or how you, you know, how you said you were talking past each other, not listening. Could you boil it down to, um, what was at the root of the problem? Yeah. So the first thing that Dave had us do, and, um, this was huge was, you know, you're familiar with the, um, the love languages. Yeah. So the first thing he did was have us both create, um, and it sounds corny, but create a love list. And it basically was the other person writes, uh, very easy or more difficult, um, ways that your spouse could fill you up in those different love languages. Mm, so you just okay. get this list of here's something that'd be really easy. That would take 30 seconds. Here's something that might take a few more minutes, you know, and then you do two or three examples of each. Do you, what uh, are some examples? Do you remember any of yours or just other? Yeah, so my wife, uh, she loves it. If I physical touch is really important to her. So she would literally write, if you come up to me, just give me a hug before you leave for work, that would fill me up. Or if you give my feet a massage kind of thing, right. Or mm-hmm. my back a massage. Um, so there's some one that's really quick. And then there's one that might take a little more time, like sitting down and giving a back massage. Um, for me, it was really hard for me to, and it, this was, from my family of origin, it was hard for me to ask for compliments or to ask for it. Cause it felt like that's disingenuous to say, I need you to compliment me. I need you to affirm me. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm really big on I need that affirmation and I will avoid it. And I need someone. So I had little things of like, you know, needing her to affirm me. Um, and then the second thing was the second biggest thing. So when we started building up that, then you have a level of trust that starts getting built. And it was so difficult. It's so difficult. Did you feel awkward? Yeah, it felt awkward. I mean, well, the other thing is that you kind of just go to this place of, you know, in the Bible where it says, if you do a nice thing to your enemy, you're heaping coals on their head. You kind of go to that place, which is actually a good thing for two spouses. You kind of go to this place where it's like, all right, well, I'm really mad at them and they don't deserve this. So I'm going to go to my love list and, and start doing this to them. Uh, and you, and you have to do it honestly. You can't just like, well, here I am rubbing your back, but we just both had to commit to trying to do as many of those every day as possible. So that builds up this level of trust. And then the second thing was how we both dealt with conflict. Okay. We both had, we both had the opposite ways of dealing with conflict and we both were unhealthy in our approach to dealing with conflict. Like avoider, yeah. versus, uh, what's the other one? Aggressor or whatever, like somebody that kind of digs and digs and digs and digs and digs. It doesn't know how to walk away. That kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, for my wife, it was, if you upset her, she's just going to be upset and walk off. And if you talk again, then everything's fine. <laughs> Very whereas, common. Yeah. yeah. Whereas for my dad, kind of an avoider. Yeah. Whereas for my dad and me or, or the way I just learned, um, from whatever, from my interactions, it wasn't necessarily, see, the thing is, it's not necessarily that your parents do something wrong. It's just your perception of it. Yeah. My perception was that, um, if some, if something's upset between me and anyone, uh, we need to work it out and I will go, I will go to an unlimited length 
to try to fix it. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I'll, I'll sit here and talk with you for eight hours trying to reconcile. Mm-hmm. And I was not good at just saying no and walking off, like cutting ties. Whereas my wife was way more okay. Um, no, you're wrong. And walking off and like, okay, I'm done. I was much more like, no, you're wrong. And let's talk about it. And let me try to convince you. And, and I, I was not good at setting boundaries. And while, you know, if you're hearing that you might think, well, oh, okay. So you just needed to be meaner to your spouse. But in fact, actually healthy boundaries are really freeing for someone to know like, oh, okay, I've kind of crossed the line. Um, so that was really huge for us. And Dave really helped us understand how to talk through those things and when our emotions got too flared up, what to do and how to recognize that. So I want to talk more about the boundaries because when I hear that, you know, for me, I I often think of marriage as there is nothing between me and my spouse, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm a firm believer, share your bank account, share, share your bedroom, share, share everything. Although sometimes I wish we had individual sinks because my (laughs) husband has a beard besides the point. Um, so when you say, you know, you need to have healthy boundaries within your marriage, I think we can easily apply that to friendships, maybe familial relationships with our parents, whatever. What does that actually look like in a marriage? What does healthy boundaries mean in marriage? Yeah. So that's a really, that's a man. Dave would explain this probably way better and you should interview him because he's amazing. But uh, he talks about how, yeah, he talks about how, you know, the two become one, right? We become one flesh but, but we're still, we're, we are united, but still distinct. Like we don't become the same, the same person, the same human being. Exactly. And so, um, I was really impacted by the book boundaries. It's just called boundaries. I forget the author's name, but there's two authors, it's a really famous book. And then there's versions of it, boundaries in marriage, boundaries in work, boundaries for leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically the idea is that um, boundaries are healthy, right? That like a castle has a wall around it to keep, uh, not only to keep good things in, but to keep bad things out. And that, um, you know, a castle or a kingdom or whatever has gates and the gates you have a right to, um, kind of control or allow what comes in or out. And that is something that is not mean to put up boundaries you know, to put up walls against people, but it's actually healthy. It's healthy to, um, to set boundaries with people. So, yeah. So for instance, in marriage, um, yeah, a healthy boundary looks like standing up for yourself a little bit in the sense of this is how I want to be treated. And it's a, um, it's like non-negotiable. Like Mm -hmm. I deserve to be treated this way. And here's what happens if this gets, if that boundary gets demolished or broken in, right? Like Mm -hmm. here's, it's, it's, it's important not just to say here are my boundaries, but to be willing to, and this is the heart of where I really needed a lot of healing was I thought saying no and arguing was setting a boundary, but saying no is the setting the boundary. Um, but then just arguing forever and being held to like kind of attached to another person and what they think about that and whether or not they agree to it. Um, you have to have a way to enforce that boundary. And, and for me, I thought saying no was enough. And I didn't realize that there had to be some type of consequence to put it 
you know, kind of bluntly, like there should be a consequence if someone breaks your boundary. <laughs> this sounds a little, you'll have to help me not make this sound so like punitive, like <laughs> you're punishing someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but a boundary could be, for example, it could be, um, <laughs> and this sounds really dumb, but it could be, you know, uh, when you scream, when we're arguing, that gets me a little too emotional. And so um, I understand that sometimes we get heated and you don't mean to scream, but when we're arguing and you scream, I'm going to need to separate myself from that situation yeah. and I'm going to need a five or 10 minute break. Yeah. And so that's a very loving way to say, I love you. Um, for me, I need to not be in that situation when you're screaming. And so it's not like I'm going to punish you if you scream, it's I'm going to remove myself and I'm And I, I would love, I really need you to respect this, that this yeah. is non-negotiable for me. And, um, and there's right and wrong ways to do it. And we messed it up so many times and we're still getting better at it. Um, cause you don't want to just say, I need to hang out with my friends every night. <laughs> and if you don't let me go out late and hang out with my friends, I'm leaving you. <laughs> right. Like, um, so you don't want to do that, but there is like, and Dave really helped us work through what is, you know, really healthy boundaries in yeah. that way. Does that make sense? Am yes, I it, it, right? No, it totally makes sense. And even your, the example that you just gave, um, it, it totally brings clarity. So I'm an, I'm a major extrovert. Mm -hmm. I love being around people. I'm fed by that. I work constantly like, who should we hang out with? Let's have people over. Yeah. I should say I'm constantly like that. My husband Your husband's the opposite. My husband yeah. is an introvert. And yep, so yep. he has been like, you know, working to kind of navigate how do we continue to be really invested in community while at the same time recognizing that, um, you know, for him, he, he's a physical therapist. He's with people all day. He has nonstop patients. And then he needs a minute mm -hmm. uh, throughout the week to just do, to, to regain himself a little bit, yeah. you know, to, to kind of rest. And for him, I think it's been difficult because he knows that I love, let's have people over all the time. Mm -hmm. and, and, and he enjoys people, don't get me wrong. Um, but for him, he's had to learn how to set that boundary with me to say, I, Emily, I love our community. I love our friends. I want to spend time with them, but I need this. And I yeah. actually need it from you because, uh, you're the one that's kind of, you know, directing our calendar <laughs> towards, yeah. towards, uh, getting together with people or whatever. So yeah, I've kind of watched him do that and we've struggled a little bit. You know, there's been times where I've been irritated. I'm like, no, let's do something fun or let's, you know, get together with people. Um, and, and yeah, he's really done a beautiful job actually of kind of setting up that boundary and saying, yes, but first I need a night this week. I need yeah. to, I need to schedule that time, you know? So that's kind of a simple example, but, but what you're saying totally makes sense. That's the way that those boundaries and those can be big things or little things anywhere in between. But, um, but I love that you're saying that because I don't think I've ever really thought about it in that context before. And it's extraordinarily helpful that yes, while I am one with my spouse in the, in the one, in, in one flesh, we're still distinct human beings with yeah. particular needs that we need to kind of honor within one of each other. Exactly. Each. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, when we get in heaven, right. Jesus says there's no marriage in heaven, right? Like there's not, there's no marrying and, and unmarrying. Right. So it's, there is a relationship between us and the Lord and there are, there, there do need to be healthy boundaries to help, to help your spouse grow in holiness, like to set healthy boundaries, not, to punish your spouse, but to help them grow in holiness, to help them know, you know, in some ways, I guess just to 
<clears throat> talking from my perspective as a Catholic, right? Like, um, my wife and I don't believe in divorce and in some ways, and I, and I want to say this very, you know, sensitively in some ways, um, without the threat of a serious consequence, um, it, a relationship can become really unhealthy. And I'm not saying it's good that people get, uh, live with each other without any like commitment to, to lifelong. Um, and that for some, like that a marriage would be better if at any point someone could leave. But for us, I think we kind of over spiritual for me, I will say I over spiritualize this, like do anything, um, to heal this relationship, like, like to go over and above and not be willing to walk. I mean, to give an example, the, the kind of transformative moment, uh, for me, this huge moment was I was on the phone with our marriage counselor. It was just me and Dave and it was a particular, a particularly dark, um, just period in our, mm -hmm. and I kind of explained like where this kind of went off the rails. I was like, I, you know, this is crazy. It started, it just was such a small argument. And, you know, she wanted to do something and I said, I would rather us not do it that way. And then it just turned into this huge explosion. And I'm talking to Dave and I'm saying, um, I said, I said no. And then it didn't, you know, she did not honor that. And he, and he had heard the whole story and everything. And he said, well, Edmund, it sounds like the problem is between your two ears. And I said, Excuse me. Excuse I me. Did you not just hear the whole story that I just laid sir, out for you? <laughs> sir, I am paying you to help me. That is what? Like, I said, no, no, no. I said, uh, how do you mean? And he said, he said, I think the problem is between your two ears. And I was like, what? And this was one of the first times that Dave was very direct and stern with me. And it kind of caught me off guard. He said, I think the problem's with you. The problem is not with Danielle. I mean, well, he didn't say so much. The problem was not with Danielle, but he's like, I think you're having an issue here. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like I said, no, I thought I'm supposed to hold boundaries. And he said, you said the word no, but you did not hold a boundary. You did not like, you just argued and argued and argued and tried to convince her. And, and just, you, you didn't know how to hold you in effect, didn't say no. You said I would rather not. And then you just let it keep going. And so, um, he talked about how, you know, we're all baptized into Christ as priest, prophet, and King. And the role of the priest is this like role of service and worship. And the role of the King is kind of this administration and rule. But he said, there's also the role of the prophet and the prophet, um, speaks truth. And he said, you need to learn to speak truth and, and, and stick to that. And he said, Danielle needs that. She needs you to say no and mean it mm. and not say no. And then argue for five hours about it. Like she needs you to say no and mean it. And, and you have a problem doing that and you have a heart for people and you, you're very like <laughs> much more in touch with your, it's a, it's much more masculine quality to just be like, no, and walk out of the room. Right. And not that that's a healthy way to do it, but I didn't have that. I was much more sensitive, emotive. Like I understand that this person's upset and I want to help them understand and move. And Almost he's like, that's codependent. 
like exactly. relying too much on exactly to- oh my gosh yeah exactly i can pick out in a staff meeting who's upset with who immediately i can sense who's upset with who i immediately um, am nervous that some other people are upset with me and it bothers me i want i'll go up over and above to try to get people to like me right to be okay so what's the role of compromise in, in that, because kind of what I'm hearing is, is you needing to learn how to set these appropriate boundaries and mean them. Um, but man, so much of marriage is also learning how to compromise. How yeah. did you navigate that, especially in that time where you were kind of learning to say no and mean no, or, you know, to yeah. stick to what you, um, what you needed, what she needed, etc. How did compromise enter the picture? Yeah, that was a, that's a very good question. That was a big thing. I think for me, um, where we really got off the rails was, you know, one of us, or, you know, my wife would say, I want to do this. And I would say, I don't want to do that. And then we had nowhere to go for compromise after that point. Right. Because mm-hmm. it was like, she does want no that, right? alternative option. Brought yes. Forward and, so, and so, yeah, no compromise. I think the way Dave explained it is, um, it's not either. So there's like two options, right? One spouse says a, another spouse says, and the other spouse says B, the point of compromise is not that sometimes we do B and sometimes we do A and therefore like, isn't that the compromise? Compromise is you want B, I want A. So let's figure out a C. We have to figure out a C together mm-hmm. and we can both honor the A and the B. We have to be able to honor the A and the B and, and figure out like, okay, you don't want this, but why, why, what is it about this that you don't want? And what would you be willing to do? And so, yeah, we had to learn that because neither of us were good at that. I, um, always wanted the other person to completely understand and see my side and, and agree with it. And she, she didn't know how to do anything other than go, I want a, and if you won't give me a, then I'm going to walk out of the room. (laughs) Yeah. Then see you later. You go do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was a huge part of it. And, um, I think another thing too, related to all of this is when Dave said to me, the problem really, the problem is with you. Mm-hmm. That was a huge turning point for me. And I know this is like a phrase or something, but I began really understanding what it means to take radical. Like, I think everything's my fault now at this point. It's like, I, like, I just, for some reason it clicked in my head that this idea of like radical responsibility that it's, and I say it this, in everything. Yeah. That I say it this way. And, and it, it gets people a little uneasy when I say this because there are people that blame themselves for everything and it's unhealthy. But for me, uh, the phrase it's all my fault was so empowering. It was like, if this person's upset, um, it's my fault, right? Or if this person hurts me and I know that there are people in abusive situations where they, they need to not hear this. But what I, what I mean by this is, is, um, if this person said something that hurts me, what can I do about this? Like, what, what is my response? How do I handle this? Mm -hmm. And, and to just go, well, that, that hurt. Uh, and isn't that mean that that person did that instead to say how I need to handle this, this is my responsibility. You know, if my, and it's the same up at work, it's like, if one of my uh, employees does something wrong or is incompetent, that's my fault. I agreed to hire them. I'm not training them well. I'm not talking to them. If my wife is upset and doing something, you know, that hurts me or I don't want, that's my fault. I can do something about this. I can, I can, I can take an action that will change this. 
It reminds me of that book, QBQ. Have you read that? Oh, no. Question, you would love it. It's just okay. the question behind the question. And, and it really gets to the heart of what is my role to play in the problem that's happening. And yeah. I think that's, uh, yeah, I just think that's beautiful. I had somebody on uh, the podcast a couple of weeks ago who talked about Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of the key takeaways that he received going through AA was that if ever there's a disturbance, I always have a part to play in yeah. it. And yeah. I just, I think that's so true. And I think we live in a culture of blame so often, you know, if only they did this, if only my work if you know, my, the people that I worked with did this, this, and this, and this, but yeah, the problem is what, okay. Did I set them up well for it? Did I, whether that's in work or at a home, did I set my toddler up well, or did I try and push her too long without eating? And exactly. she's having a total meltdown. And it's actually my fault that exactly. I didn't think ahead, that I didn't have some ownership. And that's not a despairing thing. And I think that's what you're, what you're, articulating so beautifully is we don't need to stay in that. You know, we don't need to just live in a, Oh, I'm a terrible person. And what yeah. was me or whatever, but to, to, I love that you used the word empowering. It's actually extraordinarily empowering to say, I dropped the ball here and I'm going to pick it up and keep going now. You know, I'm going to figure yeah. out how to not drop the ball again and move forward. Dave would always talk about powerlessness. He said, you, what, he would describe one of us coming from a place of powerlessness. And that's where we get the most emotional is when we feel powerless to do anything. Mm -hmm. When we get to a state where it's like, I don't know how else to convince this person, yeah. or I don't know how else to change this situation. And so we feel powerless. And so we act out in a way, or we throw a tantrum or we retreat because we feel powerless. And so it, it really is a practice of trying to acknowledge like, Oh, I'm getting to a place of powerless. I'm complaining about someone or I'm, I'm festering in it, or I'm avoiding because I feel powerless. And instead I need to say, it's all my fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what could I do? I could do something. Like this. Yeah. yeah. Emotion yeah. I think comes out so much in that, you know, I just yeah. think of this is going to be a weird example for you, but I mean, labor, child, childbirth, yeah. like, women are so emotional oftentimes. And that, and partly that's because massive hormones are surging through their body, but also it's that sense of powerlessness. And I just remember feeling that like, I feel so vulnerable right yeah. now and I just couldn't help but weep. You know, yeah. that was, that was the response. And I, so yeah, I think you're, I think you're so right. And we respond to it differently, you know, different humans respond in different ways. Oh, I mean, I could talk to you about all of these things for <laughs> hours and hours. Yeah. It's um, great stuff. It's, it's great stuff. And I just want to thank you too, for just being willing to be vulnerable and honest about it. I think there is yeah. a real stigma about couples saying, you know what, we need some help, whether, whether they're on the beginning of that, um, you know, spectrum of we're, we're doing okay. We just have some things to work on or at the end of the spectrum of, we're not sure if we're going to make it. You know, I yeah. think, I think couples really need to, um, yeah, have more witnesses and that are willing to just be honest and vulnerable and say, there's no manual for this. And we got to figure out who we are in order to figure out how to better love our spouse and kind of work towards those things. So I'm so grateful that you're, um, that you're sharing that with us. So one of the things that I love to do on this podcast, I am a firm believer that questions uh, just carry a lot of weight. Yeah, I love uh, this about your podcast. Yeah, that we just, you know, in what are we, what are we pondering? What are we thinking about that's kind of allowing us to grow? So mm -hmm. I want to know what question have you been pondering? Is there something you've been thinking about? Um, it can be big things, little things, anything in between, but what's been, what's been going on between your two ears um, and something that you're pondering? 
Yeah. Um, I think related to maybe the boundaries thing is the question. And I think it's, there's no simple answer. There's no, and I think this is kind of the point is there's no simple answer, but the question of how to, when to challenge someone that's especially someone who is very close to you, when to challenge them when they are acting or thinking or doing something that's outside of what you believe is right. Mm -hmm. And when to just love them through it because Mm -hmm. they know that you think that that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is particularly hard. How do I do that? Yeah. Yeah. It's particularly hard with family members or very close friends. And especially when, you know, and you deal with all these levels of guilt or hypocrisy. Right. But Mm -hmm. I think I, I don't know. I don't, I don't always know the answer. And I, I wish I knew better how to navigate when to challenge someone and when, especially if you've known someone for so long and they know, they know what you think and believe. So do you just, you know, in a way, just give up and pray silently, but um, yeah. How, yeah. When to, when to lean in and, and challenge and when to just love them and be there with them. Yeah. Dang. That's such a good question. And, and yeah, thanks for sharing it with us. I, um, that just points me to like some of the different women's groups that I'm in or even, yeah, in, in my own marriage. Yeah. When, and then how, if I'm going to, you know, or if somebody's going to challenge me, sometimes I'm like, don't pacify me, kick me in the butt. You know, don't tell me, Oh, it's okay. Emily, you messed up again. No, like kick me in the butt. So that's often a desire for me, but I know that that might be a little bit of a personality thing or, or whatever too. So, Oh, that's a great, great. And the whole thing is like the next step. Cause like if you do challenge them and they say, well, I disagree then like, okay. then, what? then what? Then you just go, all right, well, that was awkward. Moving Good talk. on. Good talk. Yeah. Moving on. Oh yeah, that's so true. Well, let me know when you find an answer. Keep sitting yeah. with it. Shoot me an email and then uh, yeah. 140 characters or less to when you challenge someone. Let I me will. know what you find out. Yeah. Well, Edmund, thank you so much for um, spending some time with me today. What a gift. Uh, and it was a pleasure. For your vulnerability. Uh, friends, we set up a little Google voice number and I would love to hear from yes. you if there is. This was your idea, Edmund. Thank I'm you so excited about that. I'm so excited for people. People need to call in. What's the number? Okay. It is 605-215-1515. Okay. Call that number. 605-215-215-1515. 1515. Okay. 605-215-1515. If you're listening to this, call in, you're in your car, you're driving or something like Emily doesn't know what you guys think about. Like she doesn't know if you, if you guys should ever have me on again. If, if you like it, if you don't like, like she needs, this is, that's her oxygen is your feedback. And you know what? She's not going to care about a lot of it. It's not that she's going to listen to all your feet. Like she's going to listen to your advice, but she needs to hear that there's someone else out there. So please call. And that's a wrap folks. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I think you should just take over and host this. That would no be way, no amazing. Way, no way. I no loved way, it. No I loved it. Yeah. No you way. can call that number. I'll post it in my show notes, but I would love to hear from you, especially if there's a question that you are pondering, a question that you're thinking about. Um, I, I always say this isn't meant to just be content that's simply put out for people. You know, this is meant to be something that um, kind of leads you to more and uh, starts further conversations. So you can either call that number, leave a voicemail, uh, for a chance to be played on the podcast. You can make a little shout out to a friend if you'd like, or you can mm-hmm. also uh, send a text message with a question that you're pondering. And I'll be sharing some of these things in future episodes. So 
thank you for the idea, Edmund. I'm really excited yeah. about it. I'm so um, pumped. And yeah, be sure to give that number a call or shoot a message. And until next friend, ne- next time, friends, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you then. 